Hey creeps, I'm Taylor and this is TGI Crime Day. Hello and welcome to TGI Crime Day. Today I am talking about the unexplained death of Lauren Smithfields. I have actually wanted to talk about Lauren's case for a while, but I was really hoping, really hoping, that by now there would be more information and answers, but unfortunately there isn't. So we are just going to talk about it and what we know right now. Uh, right from the top, just going to be open with you right now. This case pisses me off. Pisses me off. The officers involved in this case should honestly be ashamed of themselves for the way they handled the entire thing. And I cannot believe that this is the reality that people face when they have a loved one that goes missing or that is murdered or dies under mysterious circumstances. But that is why we need to talk about it so that this does not keep happening to black women in this country. Unfortunately, we have a very long way to go and that is why we have to talk about these cases where black women die under suspicious circumstances because it's brushed off, it's not talked about, and the difference between how missing and murdered white women and their families are treated uh, and the difference between that and how missing and murdered black women are treated is disgusting. So, uh, before I go on an hour-long rant, quick reminder, make sure that you are subscribed on YouTube um, or on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts is great. And also, you can send me your case suggestions, your own personal true hometown stories, uh, or spooky stories. Since we are coming up on Halloween, I would really love to do an episode and share your ghost stories. So, send those to me, tgicrimeday at gmail.com. Super easy. It's just the name of the podcast at gmail. Yes, I've said it enough times. Also, I did want to say a quick thank you for listening to or watching the last episode I did about Jared Brightigan. I know his family and friends really appreciate the support, and I hope that you will share Lauren's story as much as you shared Jared's. Every voice helps keep these cases going, and as I have said many, many times, we know that public attention gets these things moving in a lot of these cases. So keep talking about it. Keep sharing. All right, enough about me. Let's talk about Lauren Smithfields. Lauren was born on January 23rd, 1998 in Bridgeport, Connecticut to Chantel Fields and Everett Smith. Lauren graduated from Stamford High School in Stamford, Connecticut and was attending Norwalk Community College with plans to become a physical therapist. Lauren loved fashion, she loved to travel, and she was very close with her mom. Her mom, Chantel, shared a memory of going on one of their mommy-daughter dates to get their nails done and she said that Lauren always chose long acrylics with really intricate, fun designs. Chantel said that everyone at the salon loved her and added that Lauren was very bubbly and she was a hugger. Um, I also read that Lauren loved working out and her favorite thing to order when she got coffee was a matcha tea. Chantel also said that Lauren had these little notes around her mirror with goals written on them, including finish college and become a physical therapist. Lauren had a lot of goals and dreams that she was working toward and she was determined to make these things happen for herself. On December 14th, 2021, Chantel started to get worried when she hadn't heard from Lauren. Eventually, she sent a text saying, are you okay? Please let me know. More time passed without getting a response from Lauren, so she decided to go to Lauren's apartment to check on her. It was very unusual for Lauren to ignore her mom's calls and texts. Chantel took Lauren's brother with her to Lauren's apartment in Bridgeport, and when they got there, there was a note on the door that said, quote, if you're looking for Lauren, call this number, end quote. The number was for the landlord, who said that he would meet them downstairs. Lauren's mom and brother waited by the car, and I can't imagine all of the thoughts that had to have been racing through their minds by that point. The landlord came down and delivered the news to Chantel that Lauren had been found dead in her apartment the day before. The landlord, not the police, informed this woman that her daughter had passed away. Chantel said, quote, I started panicking. All I could do was just stand there like I was frozen. I could not believe what he was telling me, that my baby was gone, end quote. 
Before Lauren's family even found out about her death, the police started absolutely ruining every single step in this case. The police work, if you can even call it that, surrounding Lauren's death is a joke. Honestly, it makes my blood boil. <laughs> Let me explain before I get ahead of myself. So, the landlord gave them a number for the detective in charge of Lauren's case, and when Chantel called to find out what was going on, she was giving very little information and then basically hung up on by this detective. Let's address this first. Uh, when someone dies, it's the police's job to notify the family, period. That's basic, bare minimum, entry-level knowledge, no? We will talk more about that along with the other absolutely pathetic way that detectives handled Lauren's case in the beginning in a little bit. On December 11th, 2021, Lauren met up with a man that she met on Bumble. And I have to be careful about how I speak about this man because I'm not trying to get sued. And since no one has been named a person of interest in this case, I will be calling him Mr. X. Quick Investa Google will show you his name and photo, just saying. Mr. X is a 37-year-old white man that Lauren connected with on Bumble, and they talked back and forth for about three days before meeting up. Mr. X went to Lauren's apartment for a date, and according to him, they had food, drinks, played games, and started a movie. Mr. X told investigators that Lauren went outside to meet her brother for a few minutes, and then when she came back, she went into the bathroom for 10 to 15 minutes. Uh, when she got back from the bathroom, they continued the movie, Lauren fell asleep, so he carried her to her room and fell asleep next to her. He told police that they did not have sex, uh, that he didn't even take off his clothes, he just went to sleep in what he was wearing. Mr. X said that he woke up around 3 a.m. to go to the bathroom and Lauren was sleeping soundly and snoring. He went back to sleep and woke up again at 6 a.m. to find Lauren laying on her right side with blood coming out of her nose, not breathing. Mr. X called the police and when they arrived, she was laying on her back on the floor in her bedroom with dried blood in and around her nostril. It was reported that the 911 operator had asked Mr. X to start chest compressions, so that would explain why she had been moved from the bed onto the floor on her back. Um, given the very odd circumstances and very little information that they did get, Lauren's family asked the question that is probably on your mind, uh, who was this guy? Was he being questioned? Did he have anything to do with this? You know, basic police work, basic questions you would think could be asked. The detective's response to this was that they'd talked to him when they arrived at Lauren's apartment and he was, quote, a really nice guy who didn't need to be investigated. Think about that for a minute. Swish it around in your mouth a little bit. In what world should the last person seen with someone who mysteriously dies, when would they not be investigated because they, quote, seem really nice? Yeah. Uh, you know who else seemed really nice? Chris Watts and Scott Peterson and Brian Laundrie. That's not enough of a reason not to do a basic police interview. Sorry, it's just not. So, after letting this guy skip off into the night, police didn't even bother to notify Lauren's family of her death. They had to find out from a note left by the landlord that something was wrong. When detectives were confronted on that horrible fact, they said it was because they had Lauren's ID and passport from her apartment and didn't need her family to confirm her identity. Lauren was given no dignity, no respect, and not one ounce of sympathy from these detectives, and it disgusts me. Let alone this family who lost their loved one in a tragic, unexpected death. Lauren's family had to beg police to investigate further, which should never have to be done. The police barely even did a walkthrough of Lauren's apartment to search for anything that could be of a forensic help. For 16 days, 
Lauren's family tried to contact Detective Cronin, who was the lead detective on her case, and couldn't get him to respond. And according to her family, he eventually told them to stop calling and hung up on them. So finally, Lauren's family decided to go into her apartment on December 6th, and they found blood on her sheets, a pill on the ground, and a used condom after Mr. X told them that they had not had sex. They also saw the glasses that they'd been drinking out of in the apartment that the police could have taken to get tested to see if Lauren had potentially been drugged. The apartment, in fact, didn't look like anything had been done at all to process the scene. So again, Lauren's family called and basically had to demand that a detective come down and process the apartment. And if I understand correctly, Detective Cronin was not the one who showed up. It was a different detective who essentially told Lauren's family that Detective Cronin had been removed from their case uh, because he didn't know what he was doing and had screwed up. So that doesn't give you a lot of confidence, does it? This detective also insisted that each member of Lauren's family had to give a DNA swab before they could move forward with the investigation. Chantel said that they basically treated them like suspects and insisted that they would not move forward with the investigation until they had the DNA from each of them. Lauren's family was frustrated by this, but of course willing to cooperate so that things could move forward. And they were frustrated, rightly so, because they were being treated like suspects. And now, all of a sudden, these detectives are saying that they won't move the case forward without their DNA when they didn't even bother to collect the DNA from the scene or from the last person seen with Lauren. Again, not a police officer, but any old Investigoogler would know that these are base level, bare minimum things that should have been done. I'm not sure where that evidence ended up at this point, uh, but at least in the first few months and from what I've seen, nothing really happened with it. Who knows if they even entered it into the investigation, however that happens, like evidence processing or whatever. That used condom sure would answer a lot of questions, wouldn't it? Depending on whose DNA was in it, because it would answer some questions about what actually happened the night that Lauren died. But no, it's not being processed and it has not been sent for DNA testing as far as I have read. So a quick recap. Mr. X, a 37-year-old white man, goes on a date with Lauren, a young, beautiful black woman. She ends up dead, and this guy gets to just go on his merry way. You're kidding yourself if you think that this situation would have played out the same if this had been a young white woman and an older black man, no matter how nice and how polite that man had acted toward police. And I know it's hard to hear this sometimes, but there is simply no room to tiptoe around the fact it's reality and acting like it's not is not going to change anything. I'm sorry, I feel like I'm talking really fast because I'm frustrated. <laughs> oh, okay. If the police thought that Lauren's family and loved ones were going to go quietly and move on, they were wrong. Her loved ones joined together to get justice and started making a lot of noise about what was going on and how they were being treated by the police department. The family's attorney, Darnell Crossland, said, quote, We thought that from the beginning there was foul play here. When you launch an investigation, that investigation must start with and include the last living person that reported the death of the other person, end quote. So there you go. Not just my opinion, you've heard it from a lawyer. Darnell Crossland seems amazing, by the way. I've seen quite a few interviews with him, and he seems like he just is out there kicking ass and not letting anybody tell him what's what. Um, it's really nice to see someone on the side of the family in this situation. Also, really quick. I understand that people are innocent until proven guilty. That is a thing. And we cannot automatically assume to know what happened in a situation like this. However, <laughs> the last person seen with someone before their strange and untimely death should always be questioned and investigated. And if that person is innocent, then it shouldn't be a problem to do a basic questioning and follow up 
And if that person had nothing to hide, you would think at the very least they could reach out to the family and tell them sorry for your loss or something, some kind of contact. And I understand this was the first time they met. I don't care. I don't care if it was the first time you met someone. Clearly things were going well because he felt that it was appropriate to stay in her bed with her for the night. And I'm sorry, but if I woke up next to someone, even if I had just met them who was unresponsive, there would be some kind of an emotional response there. I feel like that's like a basic human response, at least one of shock and confusion, maybe even a little bit of compassion for her family. Moving on. If I understand correctly, it seems like the medical examiner was very slow or even hesitant to release Lauren's autopsy and toxicology reports. Uh, more than a month had gone by before Lauren's family finally learned the actual cause of her death. And it seems like this was not released until there was a lot of public outcry on social media. The report showed, quote, acute intoxication due to the combined effects of fentanyl, promethazine, hydroxine, and alcohol. This apparently caused her to have an accidental overdose, in the opinion of the medical examiner, and they ruled Lauren's death accidental. So at that point, I don't think that that means that there's a criminal investigation opened because it's an accidental death, not a lawyer. So I'm just guessing. Lauren's family would not accept that as an answer, that it was just an accidental death and that they were supposed to just move on. First of all, Lauren didn't have a past history of drug use. She was an extremely healthy person. She went to the gym daily. She had goals of becoming a physical therapist. They just didn't believe that she was on drugs, especially this weird cocktail that was in her system. So fentanyl is an opioid, and when it's mixed with other drugs, it can be used for anesthesia. Promethazine is an antihistamine, which is what's in allergy medicine that helps your swelling go down, I believe. Um, it can cause side effects of sleepiness and confusion. It can also be used as a form of sedation. Hydroxine is yet another drug that can be used as a sedative and has side effects such as dizziness and vomiting. So that's opioids along with antihistamines and alcohol in her system. About the accidental death ruling, Darnell Crossland said, quote, I've never seen a medical examiner conclude a mixture of drugs as an accident without knowing who provided the drugs or how it was ingested. Lauren didn't use drugs, end quote. A forensic expert named Joseph Morgan said that he doesn't believe that Lauren would have had the time to develop the type of dependency that would cause her to take enough of these drugs that it would kill her. So my understanding from that is basically that he's saying it takes time to build up a tolerance to opioids and different types of drugs. And if she hadn't been taking them before this, why would she all of a sudden take enough to overdose? So if she did take them herself, why would she take that mixture and why would she take that amount? So there are a few things that Mr. X said in his initial like police report that seemed to me, in my opinion, just speculation, don't, don't yell at me. Um, it seems to me that he was trying to point a finger in the direction of saying that Lauren had gotten these drugs herself from her brother that night. Again, this is just speculation. Maybe he wasn't trying to accuse anyone of anything. Mr. X told the officer who arrived that Lauren had asked him for $40 to get her nails done, something that her family and friends loudly disagree with. She would never ask some random guy that she was meeting for the first time in person for money. Why would she do that? Also, the police found almost $1,400 in cash in Lauren's apartment. She didn't need your 40 bucks, dude. Mr. X also claimed that at some point they had been drinking a bunch of tequila and Lauren got to a point where she was so drunk that she threw up in the bathroom and then came back out and started drinking. 
He also said that Lauren went outside in the middle of their date to get something from her brother and then returned and was in the bathroom for 10 to 15 minutes. Lauren's brother clarified that he didn't drop anything off. He was actually there to pick up a basket of clean laundry. Her brother also said that Lauren didn't seem weird to him at all. Not drunk, not even buzzed, let alone drunk enough to the point of throwing up and passing out. Then, Mr. X said that they didn't have sex. Lauren fell asleep on the couch. He took her to bed and climbed in with her. I will let you decide if that seems appropriate or not for this man to crawl into bed with an unconscious young woman the first time they met. And yet, there was a used condom in that apartment that may or may not actually have made it into evidence. Not pointing fingers, stating facts. And each of these things can absolutely be explained if anyone bothered to investigate them. And again, if Lauren did take these drugs herself, where did they come from? How do they know she took them herself and that no one gave them to her without her knowing? That's where you would normally do an investigation. Obviously, Lauren's family and community were furious about this ruling, and they organized a march on January 23rd, 2022, on what would have been Lauren's 24th birthday. Hundreds of people showed up to the march that started at the Bridgeport Police Department and ended at the mayor's office. At the end of the march, Lauren's family gathered in front of the city office building and shared their demands, which were an independent investigation by state police and the attorney general, a transparent internal affairs probe about how local cops handled the case, and a bill in Lauren's name requiring cops notify families sooner in cases of untimely deaths. All very fair demands, I think. Lauren's family also planned to sue the city. Good for them. And this is obviously not about the money. No amount of money could ever fix the shit show that this investigation was. Um, in situations like this, though, sometimes the best way to get people to pay attention is to hit them where it hurts, which unfortunately is the pocketbook. The public was also frustrated that the Bridgeport mayor, Joe Gainham, had been silent throughout this entire investigation. A city councilwoman, Maria Pereira, noted that she and two other city council members were the only elected officials at the march. She shared that she was angry about the situation and called for Mayor Gainham to speak up. A couple of days after the march, on January 25th, 2022, Mayor Gainham announced that Internal Affairs would be investigating the police's interaction with the family. He also said that he was working with the police chief to make changes to department policies on notifying family members of a loved one's death, which is a good place to start, I suppose. Then finally, on January 27th, 2022, after weeks of everyone screaming at the Bridgeport Police Department, they finally opened a criminal investigation into Lauren's death. And I talked about this in the last episode I posted about Jared Bright again, but I am going to mention it again. This is why public outcry is so important. It's ridiculous, and I hate that it's even a factor because people should just care about the community that they're supposed to be serving and do their jobs correctly. And again, no one get mad at me. I'm grateful for cops who do their jobs properly because there are plenty of them who do. But there are way too many who do stuff like this and handle cases in the most outlandish, idiotic ways, and they just get away with it. Families should not have to fight this hard to get justice for their loved ones, but this is a reality for a lot of these families who find themselves in this situation. A few days after his initial statement, Mayor Gainham announced that two detectives would be put on administrative leave while Internal Affairs looked into why they were so bad at their jobs. I'm paraphrasing, of course, but that's the basic idea. The original detective on Lauren's case, Kevin Cronin, and another detective, Angel Lano, were put on leave because they both handled similar cases with the same amount of insensitivity and absolute cluelessness. On the same day as Lauren's death, another woman, Brenda Lee Rawls, was found unresponsive after visiting a male acquaintance. 
Brenda was 53 at the time of her death, and she met up with a man who lived in her neighborhood. Brenda was in contact with her sisters daily, so when they didn't hear from her for a few days, they got really worried. Some of Brenda's family members went to this man's house to see if he had heard from her, and he informed them that after this date that they had, he couldn't wake her up, and she had died. He gave them the shoes and clothing that she'd been wearing, and her family was shocked that the police hadn't taken these things for evidence. They had to hunt someone down who would tell them what was going on, and when they called the Bridgeport Police Department, they wouldn't give them any answers. Brenda's family called a local funeral home, who suggested that they should call the medical examiner's office, and that's where they finally located Brenda's body. Bridgeport PD didn't inform her family of her death. They literally had to do their own investigation to figure out where she was and what happened. It's disgusting that these detectives are behaving this way in these cases. Brenda's case is the reason that the second detective, Angel Lano, was also put under investigation. There is absolutely no excuse to handle deaths this way. These are human people who have families and loved ones who worry about them and care about them, who deserve sensitivity, and I know it's crazy, but some compassion from the people that are telling them that their loved one is no longer here. And I'm sure that no one wants to deliver the news that will devastate and change people's lives, but that doesn't mean you just get to, like, skip it because you don't want to do it. Of course, these detectives fought the claims made by Mayor Gainham and said that it was unjust and that there was no proof that they handled the investigation or death notifications incorrectly. On May 21st, 2022, the suspension was reversed. And I mentioned it briefly earlier, but I want to call attention to this again. Lauren's family was basically being called paranoid when they pointed out that if a member of an affluent white family had been found in this way, the investigation would have paid out very differently. From the beginning, and even now, in comparison to other cases, Lauren has received very little media coverage. And if you don't believe that racial injustice happens in these situations, I need you to check your privilege. And I'm sad to say that it wasn't until I really started paying attention to true crime podcasts created by people outside of the media that I learned what a huge gap there is when we talk about missing and murdered black women and indigenous women and all people of color, for that matter. Because it's not in mainstream media, so it's up to people individually, like families and unfortunately content creators, to talk about these cases because if they don't do it that way, it just gets ignored and goes unnoticed. And it's really hard to look at it head on and face that fact, but it is a fact that mainstream media does not cover these cases the same way they do as when a white woman goes missing. A PBS anchor named Gwen Ifill coined the term missing white woman syndrome. She coined this term years ago basically to describe the attention that white women get when they appear in situations of danger, while black women in similar situations are often ignored. Dr. Danielle Slackov, a criminal justice professor at the Sacramento State University, said, quote, After the Gabby Petito case, I felt, just from my perspective, that we were starting to see more equitable coverage. But then Lauren's case happened, and I saw that really it was the family and social media that were keeping the interest going, and it was disappointing. The family deserves the space to grieve, and instead they are, in this story, trying to get justice for her, end quote. What we saw in the Gabby Petito case was incredible. In fact, I doubt that any of you watching or listening to this episode haven't heard Gabby Petito's name. Before this episode, had you heard of Lauren's case? I genuinely want to know if you have or if this is the first time you're hearing about Lauren's case. Um, when Gabby went missing, no one was going to let it go until she was found and that there were some answers. People were demanding justice. You couldn't get on social media without seeing a post about Gabby. There was news updates every five seconds for weeks. And here's the thing. When people bring up the news coverage in Gabby's case versus the way Lauren's case was handled, I see these nasty, ignorant comments that are like, 
blaming the person saying, oh, so you don't think Gabby deserves that kind of coverage? Grow up. No one is saying that. Of course, that's not what anybody means. What people are saying is that's how it should be for every single person who disappears or dies under mysterious circumstances, no matter what their skin color is. It's literally that simple. I am going to end this episode with a quote from Lauren's mom, Chantel. Um, she said, quote, justice for me, for Lauren, is putting a bill in her name, making sure that the police departments do what they say they're going to do. I want justice for every black woman, every young black girl in this world, to make sure a woman of color, any color, whose families are going to be involved with the police department, that they have to act and know how to treat a family member who have lost a loved one, end quote. I don't think that's asking for too much. This is a very real problem that families face every single day, so I'm begging you to pay more attention to these kinds of cases. Pay attention to the way that the media handles these cases, and let's just all do better as people who are in the quote-unquote true crime community to share and support the families of every person with cases similar to Lauren and to Brenda and to the countless number of women whose families still have no justice and no answers. The louder everyone is and the less we allow this shit to keep happening, the harder it is for police to behave in the way they did in Lauren's case because they know that someone is watching, they know that they can't get away with it. As of the time I'm recording this video, which is August 28th, 2022, there have been no official suspects or person of interest named in Lauren's case. The last update I saw was on June 7th, 2022. There is a GoFundMe for Lauren's family to hire a private investigator to search for answers in Lauren's death. And I will have that linked in the show notes um, or the description if you're watching on YouTube. So please donate if you are able to. You can also do a lot to support this family without having to spend a dime by sharing her story sharing news articles about her um, and sharing the GoFundMe page and just continue to do so until there are some kind of movement in this case. The people in Lauren's life lost a really wonderful person, but Lauren will not be forgotten anytime soon, especially if everyone keeps being loud about it. Thank you for being here with me through this episode. I try to keep my rants to a minimum, but I cannot help myself in this case. First of all, there are very few articles that actually go into detail about Lauren's case and the updates since everything happened and the different things going through with um, the bill being passed in Lauren's name. So there's a lot of things that are kind of missing um, and that frustrates me to no end. Uh, and I've said it a thousand times and I will say it a thousand more if you stick around for this podcast. I'm not a newscaster. I'm not a journalist who knows how to turn off my emotions. I am an investigator who gets extremely involved and emotionally attached to the cases I talk about. And personally, I think there's enough cold, emotionless news reporting in the world, and giving a shit about others is cool. Um, I'm assuming that if you have made it to the end of this video that you feel the same way that I do about these kinds of cases and about the injustices that are happening constantly. So keep being loud about it. There is a long way to go, but I genuinely believe that the more we talk about this stuff and the more aware of it all of us are, the easier it's going to be to continue to find justice for women who go missing in this country, for women who die under suspicious circumstances that are just brushed under the rug and forgotten about. No one should have that as their fate and no family should have to fight the way that Lauren's family has to get basic detective work done. Ugh. All right, I'm going to cut myself off there. If you would like to leave a comment to also rant with me, you may do so because this case is infuriating. It's infuriating. Um, okay, I'm going to cut myself off now. Thank you for being here. I will talk to you soon.